invite you to please turn in your copy of Scripture to our text for this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, as we continue in our series through the book of Hebrews. And I will read the verses so that we are more familiar with them. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. Now, a letter of Hebrews was written to Christians in the first century who were tempted to return to the older covenant. We know that they were formerly Jews who now, because of their newfound faith in Christ, were being treated unfairly. They were being rejected by their Jewish family and friends. They were being rejected by the Jewish community. They were losing jobs, business opportunities. They were uh, losing relationships that they had once loved and clung to. And not only that, but we know that the threats from Rome were getting more and more dangerous to Christians during this time. And so the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to encourage these Hebrew Christians and to encourage us this morning to persevere in our faith in Christ. And he does this not by telling us to try harder, not by telling us to let go and let God. He does not say, you can do it. The power is within you. But what he does is he gives us an exhortation, an exhortation throughout this epistle to look to Jesus, to our faithful Savior. He points us to Christ, who is superior in every way. And so far in Hebrews, Jesus has been compared to the older covenant prophets and to angels. And Jesus has been shown superior in every way. The prophets served a role. The angels serve a role, but they are just servants. Christ is the superior son. And now in chapter 3, there is a new comparison and contrast. And this time, it is between Jesus and Moses. And so why Moses? I want us to keep in mind this morning that the original audience of this letter was thinking about returning to the older covenant. And when I say the older covenant, I'm referring to the, the system of sacrifices and offerings and priests and the temple 
and the ceremonial and civil laws, all of these things characterized the older covenant, what we see in the Old Testament and up until Christ's ministry concluded on the cross. Basically, when I say and when we talk about the older covenant, we're speaking about everything that was revealed to Israel before Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. And so the Hebrews were tempted to return to this older covenant system in administration. It was what they were familiar with. It was what they were brought up in. It was what they were catechized in. It was safe because the world and those around them would no longer persecute them because they were Jews. They were part of now this mainline religion again that Rome pretty much uh, overlooked for the most part as long as the Jews were not rioting and at peace. And so the temptation was to return to what was familiar, to what was safe. And this was the older covenant administration that they were tempted to refer to. And so when we think about the older covenant, who was that primary mediator of the older covenant? It was Moses. It was Moses, we know, who received God's law. It was Moses who wrote the first five books of the law under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was Moses who was the mediator of the older covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews persuades these Christians to stay faithful to Christ because Christ is superior to Moses. Christ is the mediator of the newer covenant, a better covenant. This morning, I want us to follow the argument in our text as we consider our superior Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to first consider from our text the glory of Moses. Moses, as we said, was a very important figure in Judaism. He was a figure that every single first century Jew would have known. It's kind of like talking to Americans today about George Washington or to the British about the Queen. Everybody pretty much knows who those people are in the various cultures. And it was the same with first century Jews. Everyone then knew who Moses was. He was a man of great honor, very highly esteemed and highly revered by the Jews. He was a man known for his faithfulness, for his leadership, for his communion with God. There's one example in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. There we read that inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then later in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, we read there that Moses' face was shining because he had been talking with God. Moses, we see, had sweet, intimate communion with God. He spoke with God not through a mediator, but as one who spoke, speaks to a friend, spoke with God face to face. And not only this, but we know Moses was one who was faithful to God. He wasn't sinless, wasn't a perfect man, 
but he was faithful. We read from Numbers chapter 12 about Moses' faithfulness to God. This was our first reading this morning. In that section of the book of Numbers, chapters 11 and 12, that section describes how many in Israel were complaining against God. They had forgotten how bad their slavery in Egypt was. They could only remember the good times that they had in Egypt. This is short-term memory. They had forgotten about how bad slavery was, and now as they recall Egypt, they could only remember what was good. And so they begin to grumble as they think about that tasty Egyptian food, the garlic and the onions and the melons, and they complain as they say, now we only have this manna, which is tasteless. It doesn't compare to what we had in Egypt. And so they grumble, they murmur, they complain against Moses and against God. And to make it even worse, we read there in Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron, Moses' sister and brother, they also began to complain. And in the midst of the people's opposition to God, we read in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, that God says this about his servant Moses. He says, He is faithful in all my house. When all around him were unfaithful to God, we read, Moses was faithful. He didn't complain like the others. And so because of accounts like these in the scriptures, and also the abundance of myths and legends that grew about Moses during the intertestamental period, that time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Moses, along with Abraham and, and with King David, were probably the most important figures in Judaism. Very highly revered, very highly respected. But, we read, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, we read there that Jesus is better than Moses. That he is superior to Moses. Look at verse 3, Hebrews chapter 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? Why is Jesus superior to Moses? Well, this man who spoke from God, uh, with God face to face, this man who was faithful, why is Jesus superior to him? The answer comes in verses 3 through 6. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we'll look at the remainder of verse 6 in greater detail next week. But I want you to notice in our text, in verses 3 through 6, that the writer here is not criticizing Moses or saying that Moses was bad. No, he says Moses was faithful in all God's house, but he says he was faithful as a servant. In the Bible, when we see the word house, it's usually a metaphor for God's people, for the church. We need to understand here that he's not referring to a building, but he's referring to a 
people, a people that include the older covenant believers and the newer covenant believers together. Sometimes this word is, is translated as household or family. And the writer here is saying Moses was faithful, but he was merely a servant in the house, in the family. Jesus, he says, is superior to Moses because he is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses is in it as a servant. Jesus is over it as a son. In essence, he's saying that Moses works for Jesus. Moses looks up to Jesus. Moses is merely a part of the house. Jesus is over the house that he builds. And notice the subtlety of verse 4 where we read that the builder of all things is God. What the writer here is pointing to is the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is the divine son. As he said in chapter 1, that he is the one through whom all things were made, pointing to his divinity. Christ built his house. He built this family. He gathered his people through his obedient life and atoning death through his covenant faithfulness. And so because of his perfect faithfulness, he fulfilled that promise to David, that promise that we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, where God promised David that he would raise up for him a son who would build up a house, a family, a dynasty for God. The promise there to David, he shall build a house, again, a family, a people, a church, for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jesus is the one who is over this house, his house of people that he has gathered to himself through his perfect work of redemption. And so, loved ones, we are here this morning as a covenant family, as the household of God. We are of the household of faith. Why? Is it because of Moses? We know that Moses played a part in the history of redemption. He was faithful. But we're not a covenant family in Moses this morning. No, we are a covenant family in Christ. It's the Lord Jesus who said that he would build his church, that he would call to himself people through the preaching of the gospel and the sovereign work of the Spirit, what we see in our text and throughout the Scriptures is that Jesus is the divine Son who is over the house. And Moses and you and I are merely servants in the house that Christ has established. But notice what he also says in verse 5, that Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. What he is saying here is that Moses' role as a servant in God's house in the Older Covenant was to testify, to witness to Christ. He's saying that Moses was a type of Christ, which is our second point in the sermon. Moses was a type of of Christ. Now, what is a type in the Bible? 
Now, some of you may not be familiar with that term. Well, a type in the Bible is something that points forward to the person and work of Christ. It's something that points forward to the person and work of Christ. The type can be a person, it can be an object or a place that points beyond itself to the person and work of Christ. And the type often resembles Christ in some essential features. There's a connection between the type and the greater reality, the greater fulfillment that comes in Christ. And God used, we know, many types in the older covenant to point his people forward, to teach them to anticipate a greater reality, a greater fulfillment that would ultimately come through his promised Messiah, through the one who we know was the Lord Jesus Christ. One example of a type that's very clear is that of the Passover. It was the Passover that taught Israel about the seriousness of sin, taught Israel about the need for blood to be shed in order for forgiveness of sins to, to be accomplished. It taught Israel that blood could be shed by a substitute in order for forgiveness to be made, atonement to be made. And it taught Israel that God would grant forgiveness to those who were under the blood. This was a type that was pointing toward Christ. And the question is, did the Israelites, as they were celebrating the Passover, those many years in the Older Covenant, did the Israelites know that these were types that were merely pointing to a greater reality that would come in Christ, in God's promised Son? Did they know that there was something greater to come? I want us to consider the example of the Passover again, which we said was a type of Christ, and consider the fact that when John the baptizer saw the Lord Jesus, early on in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, when John the baptizer saw the Lord Jesus, what did he exclaim? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the baptizer made the connection between Christ and the Passover before Jesus even began his earthly ministry of preaching about his suffering and death and resurrection and ascension. John knew that the Passover was merely pointing to a greater reality. And when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ beginning his ministry, he understood the connection between the promise, the type, and the greater fulfillment that was now about to be accomplished through the work of the Lord Jesus. And in the same way, loved ones, Moses was a type. His life and ministry, we know, resembled Christ in in many ways. Moses' ministry as a servant in God's house and as a servant in the Older Covenant, his ministry was ultimately to point to the person and work of Christ. And we think about Moses and Jesus and all the ways that their lives resembled one another. A couple of ways that we can note is that as infants, both Moses and Jesus were threatened by cruel kings 
and narrowly escaped death because of the king's decrees to kill the Jewish babies. That both of them were mediators between God and the people. That both were God's instruments to free his people from slavery. And both of them spoke the word of God to the people because they were prophets of God, and the list goes on. In fact, in the Lord's Day devotion and questions today, I have included one of the questions. Is See how many connections you can make between Moses and Jesus. One theologian named A.W. Pink, he wrote in his book, Gleanings in Genesis, he came up with 75 connections. So children, maybe that is something that you would like to do with your parents uh, this Lord's Day. But we see the similarities between Moses and Jesus because Moses was a type of Christ. He pointed forward to Christ. He pointed forward to the one who would be greater than him. Moses knew of himself that he was merely a servant in God's house and that a greater one was to come. We know this because when Moses addressed the Israelites in Deuteronomy, that moment before they entered into the promised land, as Moses spoke to the second generation of Israelites, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he said to the people, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses himself knew that he was a prophet, but he knew I'm a prophet with a lowercase p, we might say. And Moses knew that God would send a greater prophet with an uppercase p, we might say, in order to lead the people, in order to lead his people toward righteousness and toward faith. See, Moses, during his ministry, was, we read again in verse 5, testifying to the things that were to be spoken later, testifying to the greater one to come. And the writer of Hebrews is pointing this out to his audience so that they might not go back to Moses, but that they might persevere in their faith in Christ, in the superior one, and the one who has been sent by God, the one who fulfills all the types and shadows and promises of the older covenants. See, because if the Hebrews return to the older covenant that was mediated through Moses, return to the sacrifices, return to the temple worship, return to the civil laws, the ceremonial laws, they are, in essence, returning to something that is inferior, that has passed away, that was ordained by God for a time, but that has now been fulfilled and replaced by the greater fulfillment in Christ. In essence, the writer to the Hebrews is pointing out that if you Hebrews return to Moses, you're actually disobeying Moses. Because even Moses, he says, pointed forward to the superior prophet whom God would send. Even Moses would say, as John the baptizer said, he, Christ, must increase. I must decrease. I must fade into the background because I am merely a servant. He is the son. And even the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 46, he said, if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me. 
for Moses, he says, wrote of me. Moses pointed forward to me, the superior mediator of the newer covenant. Christ then, loved ones, has superior glory. And this is the third point in the sermon. Christ has superior glory. And so therefore, it's to him, it's the Lord Jesus to him that we are to give our attention, that we are to consider this morning because he is of superior glory. We read the exhortation in in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. This is the exhortation that you and I, that the Hebrews, that all Christians must consider Jesus. It means that we give thoughtful attention to him, that we fix our thoughts upon him, that we notice him, that we observe him. You and I are to consider Jesus. This doesn't mean that we don't think about anything else. But it means that everything else is filtered through Christ. It means that you and I, as Christians, are not to have a here and now focused perspective, but we must have a heavenly orientation to consider our heavenly calling in Christ. Because Christ alone merits our ultimate attention, our ultimate focus in salvation. When we are tempted to turn to someone else or to something else for assurance, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, there is nothing, there is no one else that compares with him. He is superior. We see in verse 1 there that Christ is the faithful apostle of our confession. This is the only place in the New Testament where Christ is called an apostle. He is the faithful apostle, the one who is sent from God to proclaim the gospel. And he did so faithfully and truly. And because he is superior, we are to believe him and cling to the gospel that he proclaimed. And Christ is also, we see, referred to as the faithful high priest of our confession in verse 1. That he is the one as the high priest who came to make atonement for sin, not for his own sin, but for the sins of the people, and not by offering the blood of bulls and goats that can never take away sins, but by offering up himself as the once-for-all sacrifice to God. So this morning, loved ones, I want to ask you if you are considering Jesus, if you are fixing your thoughts on him, if you are giving thoughtful attention to him for your salvation. Perhaps you have recently lost focus of him. I exhort you to search the scriptures, to commune with him by prayer, to consider Jesus, our superior Savior. Perhaps you have grown weary by the trials in your life and you are tempted to turn away to something that you think might fulfill you more, 
might give you greater assurance, greater happiness, greater peace. The writer to the Hebrews, speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit through the word this morning, exhorts us to search the scriptures, to commune with Christ by prayer, to consider Jesus, who is our superior Savior. Amen.